And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, May 28th, 2019. Kicking off the show, infected by bad religion. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. We've got a big show to get to. We've got NBA playoffs as the finals now are set. We'll uh, take a look at uh, the Milwaukee and uh, Toronto series, uh, specifically Game 6, which turned, to be, turned out to be the pivotal game, the clinching game for Toronto. Uh, take a look ahead at the matchups, uh, the series between Golden State and Toronto. Uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit about the Mets, rest of Major League Baseball. Uh, some teams have gotten uh, raging hot, including the Yankees. But we start with the uh, untimely passing of Bill Buckner uh, at the age of 69. Passed away yesterday. Um, had some horrible uh, disease, uh, dementia. Um, and, of course, Bill Buckner, uh, unfortunately, will mostly be known uh, and is universally known as the Boston Red Sox first baseman who, in Game 6 of the World Series against my beloved Mets, had the ball roll through his uh, legs, Grounder, slow grounder, hit up the first baseline by Mookie Wilson, which scored Ray Knight uh, to be the winning run um, in Game 6. And then the Red Sox, the Mets would go on to beat the Red Sox in Game 7 and win the World Series. And that obviously left Red Sox fans angry, frustrated. Uh, They would have to wait until 2004 uh, to get their first World Series since, I guess, their first one, which was like 1919. Um and so, you know, he became synonymous with, I guess, failure on a big stage or whatever. It's nonsense. Um, utter nonsense. First of all, the game had already been tied. So, I mean, anybody who wants to blame Bill Buckner for why the Red Sox lost that World Series to the Mets is, is idiotic. Okay? First of all, uh, the game had already been tied on a wild pitch by Bob Stanley. Uh, Calvin Chiraldi allowed three straight two-out singles also first before that even happened. Um, and so as a Mets fan and somebody who would either watch or listen to pretty much every game that season, um, once the Mets tied that game, they were not losing that game. First of all, they were at home, so they were going to get last licks. Second of all, once that game was tied, you could, you could just see everyone in the Red Sox was stunned. Okay, so yes, that proved to be the winning run in that game. Mets were winning that game come hell or high water. Doesn't matter. I don't care if that game took 19 innings, they were going to win that game. That's number one. So that didn't. So that that's that's number one. Number two, that whole season, John McNamara, the Red Sox manager that season, had replaced Bill Buckner anytime the Red Sox had a lead in the ninth inning with a guy by the name of Dave Stapleton, or Stapes, as I believe his nickname was. I used to go. I used to spend my. I was fortunate enough to spend my summers on Cape Cod uh, as a kid and a teenager. Uh, at a sleepaway camp up in Brewster, Massachusetts, a place by the name of Cape Cod Sea Camps. Fantastic place, by the way. And uh, every year, there used to be at least one trip to go see a Red Sox game. So I used to go every year. Not that I like the Red Sox so much, but I love baseball. And remember, kids, in those days, there was no cable, there was no TV, there was no tablets, there was no smartphones. So my only connection to the outside world was a transistor radio or a boombox that me and my buddy Alex and Alan had that somehow got WFAN, the Mets channel, all the way up, because it was AM, traveled all the way up to Cape Cod, we could kind of hear the Mets games. It was either that or 
if we were fortunate enough on our night out as assistant counselors, which we were that summer, to go to a place with a restaurant that had a bar that might have a TV and catch uh, a glimpse of a baseball game on in the background. That, that was pretty much it. But, so going to a Red Sox game is a big deal. Plus, you know, Fenway's a phenomenal place to go see a, Red Sox, uh, to see a baseball game. So going to a baseball game is a big deal. And I remember they used to have these painter's hats. They were popular, I guess, at the time in the 80s. And they would have all the nicknames of various Red Sox players, one of which was Stapes for this guy Dave Stapleton, who wasn't really much of a player, but I guess he was sort of a, 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 you know, a, a, a popular figure in the clubhouse and amongst the fans. In any event, he was... Buckner's defensive replacement every game that year where the Red Sox had a lead, McNamara took out Buckner and put in Stapleton. He didn't do it that game. Okay. Bill Buckner had to have nine quarter zone shots in his ankles that season just to play. Bill Buckner started his career in 1969. So, you know, by 1986, he's an old man or older, for, you know, by baseball standards. So, you want to point the finger at anybody. Calvin Chiraldi, Bob Stanley, John McNamara. And the other thing is, I will will, uh, maintain to this day, and I know a lot of other people will as well, Mookie might have beaten him to the bag or beaten Bob Stanley to the bag anyway. It might have been safe anyway. It was not a fait accompli that if he fields the ball, Mookie Wilson's going to be out. And then the other piece, of course, is that sent it to a game seven, and the Red Sox had a three-run, three-nothing lead in game seven and blew that. Now, you want to be a Red Sox fan and sit there and say, should have never gone game seven? Okay, but you still had a chance to close the Mets out and had a three-run lead, and you didn't do it. So that's, that's, that's my first point about Buckner and wearing the goat horns. Secondly, the guy had a hell of a major league career. Borderline Hall of Famer. 2,715 hits is something like 65th all-time on the hit list. I think he had more hits than Joe DiMaggio. Now, DiMaggio missed time, of course, serving in in the war, but nevertheless. Won a batting title in 1980 when he was with the Cubs. We have Keith Hernandez, by the way, another really good hitter and one of the best first basemen of his era, late 70s through the mid to late 80s. Had 1,200 RBIs, 498 doubles, career 289 batting average, and played for 22 years. Guy had a phenomenal, phenomenal career. But more important and most impressive than any of his on-the-field accomplishments is the grace in which he handled having to wear those goat horns his whole career. Got to be good friends with Mookie Wilson. They used to do autograph sessions together. Did that, that, that guest in on Curb Your Enthusiasm. With Larry David throwing him a little bone, so to speak, where he catches a baby being thrown from a burning building. He was able to laugh at himself. You know, much like Ralph Branca and Bobby Thompson became good friends. Bobby Thompson hitting the famous home run shot heard around the world off Ralph Branca in the 1954 World Series, I want to say. That was even before my time. But as the great historian of baseball that I am, I happen to know about that. Plus, if you grew up in New York and you like baseball, that's a famous, famous thing. Famous event. Um, But just by all accounts, a man of just, you know, good humor, grace, class. And again, guy had a hell of a major league career.
Bill Buckner will be missed. All right. Moving on. Let's get to the NBA playoffs. So, had the, uh, had the uh, pleasure of watching Game 6 with my dad uh, on Saturday night between Toronto and Milwaukee. So, my pops doesn't really watch basketball much anymore. You know, he played high school ball, was the captain of his high school team, played a lot of pickup ball in college, I think played for his fraternity team, if I'm not mistaken. He's the one who got me into basketball a million years ago, took me to my first Knicks game. He used to be a pretty passionate basketball fan. Over the years, his, his love for the, the sport, his interest in the sport has waned, shall we say. Um, but when I'm over and, I, and I'm hanging out there, you know, my mom goes to bed early, watches her shows in, in the bedroom, and Pops and I will stay up and watch some sports. And so we watched uh, Game 6. And, you know, he listens to the show, thankfully. <laughs> One of my devoted listeners. And, uh, you know, he heard me talking about Kawhi Leonard, so he's really interested in watching Kawhi Leonard. And the whole time we were watching the game, he actually started rooting for Toronto. I was actually rooting for Milwaukee just because I wanted to see it go seven games. I really didn't have a dog in the fight. Um, you know, I, I, I had no preference either team, but I just wanted to see a seven-game series. I think those are always exciting. Uh, but because of Kawhi, he started really getting into it and rooting for Toronto, which I thought was cool. And after it was done, he said, you know, look, that, that, you know, basically if the Knicks got Kawhi, he might become a Knicks fan again. And then he said the same thing to me the next morning, too. And, I mean, look, I I don't think it's arguable at this point. Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the NBA right now. He's the best player in the NBA. I mean, my dad pointed out to me, too, which I never really paid close attention to. I mean, watch that guy dribble. He dribbles like a point guard. And then you add the clutch shooting, shot making from all over the floor, can get to the rim, mid-range game, can hit threes, clutch shooting, great passer, team player, willing passer, good passer, not a ball hog at all. Oh, and then he'll guard your other team's best player and, and shut that player down. What else do you want from the guy? I mean, yes, he's not as physically gifted as LeBron James. He's not as tall as Kevin Durant. Okay. He doesn't have the panache, if you will, that Steph Curry has. He doesn't run his mouth and have 19 Instagram accounts. He's not on social media every two seconds. Please. Please. Now, look, there may, he may stay in Toronto. And if I were him, I would stay. You watch those games, and they, they, they pan to the, you know, the games in Toronto. But even the games that aren't in Toronto, and then they do these, these watch parties, these viewing parties where they got all these people outside. It was called Jurassic Park. Uh, you see a whole country going nuts. Because even though Toronto is in the eastern part of Canada, that's their team. They love them some Raptors there. And boy, do they love them some Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he's gotten in the promised land. You know, people said it was a big risk that... that Masai Ruji, their GM, took by trading DeMar DeRozan for, for Kawhi, I didn't think it was. Because I had said many times last year on the show, a team led by DeRozan and Lowry, while both very good players, was only going to take you so far. They needed to do something else. I thought the same thing about Portland. I was kind of right, kind of wrong on Portland because Portland got to the Western Conference Finals. Now, they ended up getting swept, and Golden State's a better team 
But, you know, you, you, you see my point. So I didn't think it was all that risky. Obviously, the big risk is because Kawhi is going to be a free agent. But, again, what, 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 what was the risk? You weren't going anywhere past where you, were or where you already had been if you were Toronto. DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry got you a certain point. They plateaued. Now, give, give, give the Raptors GM credit for getting Kawhi. I mean, full credit is due. I just don't think it was as risky a move as a lot of other people do. And then, look, Kyle Lowry had himself a hell of a series. He really did. And a guy who's been much maligned, and deservedly so, for playing poorly in the playoffs in the years past, had a really good series. Serge Ibaka stepped up. Van Vliet had a monster game in Game 5 off the bench. He hit six threes. Norman Powell. They dusted him out of mothballs. And he had big games off the bench. Mark Gasol chipped in. I mean, it was, it was certainly a team effort. And listen, the way Toronto played defense on, on Giannis was impressive. But we'll get to Milwaukee's missteps in a second. Because certainly, look, Toronto deserves a ton of credit. Milwaukee had them down 15 points. You've got to close that game out. You've got to figure out a way. And they went right in the tank. And we'll get, we'll get to them in a second. So, listen, there, for every reaction, there's a re, you know, positive action, there's a reaction. Yeah, for every great comeback and well-played game by one team, the other team's got to help you out a little bit. And Milwaukee certainly helped Toronto out. But, I mean, Kawhi makes all the difference. He makes the whole thing go. He's unselfish. He's clutch. I mean, it, it, they just, again, best player in the NBA. So, if I, and look, Toronto's going to make every effort to keep him. And if they were to win the NBA championship, you'd make a pretty strong argument. Again, people like to, to, to speculate, oh, he's going to go to the Clippers because he's from L.A. Well, maybe not. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he thinks it's a burden going back to play in his hometown. With all the distractions a lot of times that come along with going back to play in your hometown. Todd Zeal talked about it the other day. When he went back to play for the Dodgers, his first month and a half, he said, was a nightmare because he had so many obligations, family and friends, and you know, simple things from you know, just tickets to, to home games to a bunch of other stuff. He said it took him basically the first six weeks of the season to kind of get his bearings, and then he ended up having a very nice year for the Dodgers that year. He had 30 home runs and drove in, I think, 90 runs. But you know, it's not always uh, you know, unicorns and rainbows when you go back to play in your hometown. So nobody knows, but look, Toronto is going to be able to resign him, give him a, a, a ton of cash. He might like it there. I mean, again, Kawhi was in San Antonio, and yes, I know things ended ugly there, but you know, there's an art, interesting article in the Times yesterday. I think his uncle spoke out, who's part of, I guess, his team, and said, "Look, basically, what it came down to is this: Kawhi couldn't play. He felt like the Spurs didn't believe him and thought he could play." And once that happened, all trust was gone. And that was that. And he probably felt like, look, I've given my, my heart and soul, my blood, sweat, and tears to this team and this organization and this franchise since I got here six or seven years ago. And now I'm telling you guys I'm hurt and I can't play. You don't believe me? I, I, you know, if I were him, I'd be pissed too. I'd want out of there also. You know, I mean, look, at least that comes from a genuine place. At least it's not Kyrie Irving who wanted to leave Cleveland because he wasn't the man there. And then he goes to a great Celtics team and he's not happy there either. 
or Kevin Durant, who did the, if you can't beat him, join him, when he was with Oklahoma City, and they had a chance to take Golden State out, and he put up a horrendous Game 6 in that series against Golden State, and then he went and joined Golden State. I've said it before, I've said it again. I want no part of either of those guys, Durant or Kyrie Irving on the Knicks. Pouty little brats, both of them. I don't want either of them. Give me Kawhi in a heartbeat. But guess what? Knicks are so dumb, they probably won't even inquire as to whether or not Kawhi Leonard wants to come to the Knicks. And listen, again, who knows? He may want no part of the Knicks. If I were him, I wouldn't either, given their recent history. And recent being 20 years, by the way. (laughs) So, listen, kudos, props to Toronto, especially Kawhi Leonard. But again, team effort. Got major contributions from a bunch of other guys that we just mentioned. And good job there, Coach Nick Nurse. Down 2-0, win four in a row. Tremendous. Now, the other flip side of that coin is Milwaukee. Uh, Mike Budenholzer, Coach Bud, who everyone thinks is a genius. And look, he's a good coach. But he had a horrendous game six. I mean, my dad and I were sitting there watching. First of all, Brooke Lopez sat on the bench way too long. George Hill sat on the bench way too long. And, I mean, can you run a play for Giannis in the post, please? I mean, Giannis was, was getting the ball 35 feet from the basket. What, what's he going to do with it there? He's not a facilitator. That's not his thing. Not that far away. And you got to have Lopez in the game to stretch the floor and let him shoot threes. you got to have George Hill in the game because George Hill slows things down. When Toronto was making their run and Milwaukee was collapsing and coming apart at the seams, you got to get that veteran back in there to kind of settle things down. You know, I mean, look, Bledsoe plays hard. He's not a very good shooter. And, you know, he's another one. He plays 100 miles an hour all the time. He puts his head down and tries to just go through guys and get to the rim. Can't do that in the playoffs. Against a good defensive team like Toronto, who put up a wall, basically. And, you know, look, John, you know, John, Giannis hit a few threes here and there, hit a couple jump shots. But, I mean, that's if you're Toronto or any other team, that's what you want him doing. You'll live with the, the occasional makes. I mean, we watched the play. I paused it and rewound it and showed it to my, my dad. There was a play where they got caught in a switch, Toronto did, and Giannis was being guarded by Kyle Lowry. And nobody on Milwaukee looked to him. They should have just dumped the ball down into him, and then if you get double or triple team, kick it out for an open three. Or if not, you just take it right at Kyle Lowry, who's 6'1". Giannis is basically 7 feet, and go in and dunk the ball on him. And look, Giannis is a wonderful player. Wonderful player. He ain't Kawhi Leonard. And look, Giannis has improved probably more than any player in the, in, in the league that, since he's been in the league over the last five years. No doubt. And I think he will continue to get better. He's one of the hardest working players in the league. That jump shot will improve. His foul shooting will improve because it's not like Shaq where he's got the bad hitch. I mean, he's got a decent looking stroke. Just needs to work on it. He should probably, I would not be surprised if he becomes a credible three-point shooter, shoots somewhere in the low 30%. But he's not Kawhi Leonard. And look, he's, he's, they, call, they don't call him the Greek freak for nothing. He's a, certainly a unique player and a unique athlete. And again, good kid, works hard, for the most part keeps his mouth shut, just plays. Not a complainer, not a whiner. Love him. I take him on my team tomorrow. But 
he did not acquit himself well in the fourth quarter of that game, and his coach didn't do him any favors either. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with some Major League Baseball right after this. All righty, we are back here, uh, Jamal Basports. I actually just wanted to uh, finish up real quick on the NBA. So we've got Toronto, Golden State. I mean, listen, of course, conventional wisdom is Golden State. Uh, Golden State's going to have 11 days off, right, because they close their series out early. You know, obviously, there's two sides to that coin as well. The rest could do them some good, or they could be rusty. Um, listen, I'm going to pick Toronto in this series. I am. I, I think they've got a little magic. Uh, I understand Draymond Green is probably a better defender than anybody Milwaukee could throw at, uh, at Kawhi. Um, so, you know, he will probably, and Clay Thompson could probably guard him a little bit too. But nevertheless, I think Toronto's got a little magic working. And look, at, listen, I understand. Uh, uh, logic dictates that Golden State's the pick here. I get it. Curry, uh, we've talked about it before. He's one of the top five best players in the NBA still. He's, he's actually become underrated. And they haven't missed Durant a, a lick. And by the way, Kevin Durant's not playing in this series. And he doesn't have a calf strain. Okay? If he had a calf strain, he'd be back by now. The whole world knows it's his Achilles. And they're, they're saying it's a calf strain because he's going to be free agent. It's ridiculous. I mean, boy, this is the longest a guy's ever been out with a calf strain, isn't it? Please. But look, Golden State's got plenty without him, as they've proven before and since. And look, maybe Kyle Lowry will completely collapse here in the finals. Maybe not. Look, Kyle Lowry, again, has taken some deserved criticism for playing poorly in the playoffs. I don't think it's because the moment's too big for him. I think it's because he tries too hard. The guy's been a gritty, gutty, hard-nosed competitor his whole career. I mean, he's been undersized since he was drafted out of Villanova in the second round, however many years ago it was now. He's been a very good NBA player. And again, Kawhi just lifts that whole thing up. You can just see. You can see the confidence that wells and rises in these guys when Kawhi's on the floor. So I'm going to go ahead and take Toronto in seven. Uh, but I don't think it's probably... <laughs> that's my heart, really, anyway, speaking, more than my head. But, you know, stranger things have happened. All right, we move around now, Major League Baseball. So when we uh, lasted a show, it was all doom and gloom for the Mets, and rightfully so, right? They'd lost five in a row. They had the idiotic press conference with Brody Van Wagenen. Sounds like one of the mean girls from an 80s uh, John Hughes movie. <laughs> Brody, why are you so mean? Because I can be. Um... But in any event, or, or maybe the, 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 the heavy, like a William Zabka type, as my man Anthony pointed out to me the other day, uh, the heavy from uh, Karate Kid. But um, uh, in any event, um, the Mets then righted the ship, had four nice wins and a sweep of the reeling Nationals. Uh, came from behind in a bunch of games. Then took two out of three from the Tigers, although the game they lost was annoying because they scored eight runs, but Syndergaard was awful that night against a, you know a basically a triple-A lineup in the Tigers, and the Mets basically won the other two games by the skin of their teeth. So now they're playing with the big boys. They played the Dodgers last night. They got three guys thrown out on the bases, two at home plate. Third guy made the third out when the Mets were down 8-5, trying to get back in the game in the eighth inning. All right? Think about that. First inning, Frazier hits a ground ball 
single to right field. Conforto's on second base. Gets a terrible jump, as he always does, because he's a horrendous base runner. Horrendous. I understand everybody loves Michael Conforto's swing. He's a terrible baseball player. Terrible. He has horrendous baseball instincts. Atrocious base runner. So instead of uh, breaking immediately off second base, for some reason he hesitated for a second on a ground ball hit to the right side of the infield and got thrown out at home plate. And Gary DiSarcino, what are you doing sending him there? You would have bases loaded one out. Then later in the game, uh, Rosario rockets a double up the gap in left center field. Gary DiSarcino, the Mets third base coach, sends Thomas Nido, Nido rather, the catcher, to try to score. He gets thrown out of home plate. And then, with the bases loaded, J.D. Davis hits a pretty deep fly ball to right field. Cody Bellinger, who's got a great arm, who threw out Conforto in the first inning. Right? So you know he's got a gun for an arm. Throws to third, and Thomas Tomas Nito, scrub extraordinaire. I don't care he hit a, a walk-off home run against the crappy Tigers on Saturday. The guy's a 190 career hitter. Lucky to be in the major leagues. Cadillacs it down third base. And Carlos Gomez, who's on second base, whose run means nothing. Tries to tag up and go to third and gets gunned out at third. And because Tomas Nito is Cadillacing it down the third baseline, the run doesn't count. So no mention of Tomas Nito for the manager. No mention of Tomas Nito not hustling, which is ridiculous. If anybody should be going full bore every second of their baseball lives, it's this scrub Tomas Nito. And then he says, oh, no, well, Gomez has to go there. That's just a great throw by Bellinger. You tip your cap. Are you, I mean, Mickey Callaway, you can't be this dumb, right? You can't. I mean, you're not that young. You didn't, I know you, grew, you didn't grow up in an era when base running doesn't matter like it does now. You're in your mid-40s, okay? Of course he doesn't have to go. You don't make the third out at third base, and his run means nothing, now the game's going to be 8-6 with two outs, and the go-ahead run is now going to come to the plate, you moron, Mickey Calloway. Gomez has to go there. Of course he doesn't have to go. He doesn't have to do anything except to keep his fat ass on second base. Oh, my word. I mean, this is what I'm up against. He just makes excuses constantly. There's zero accountability. Ridiculous. So in a game, the Mets ended up losing 9-5. They got three guys thrown out on the base paths, two at home plate. Kershaw should have been out of that game way earlier as the Mets pounded him for 10 hits and six innings and only three runs because, again, they got two guys thrown out at home plate. And then with a 3-2 lead because DeGrom didn't have it last night and could only muddle his way through five innings and giving up two runs, damage could have been worse. So with a 3-2 lead, Callaway brings in Tyler Bashler, who just gave up a game-tying home run the other night to the Tigers because he had a couple of decent outings before that. Listen, where's I understand Gesellman hasn't been locked down, but he's been okay this year. That's if he's not. That's what he's on the team for. He didn't pitch Sunday. Why is he not in the game to give you two innings? By the way, 
And then you get it to Familia, who looked great on Sunday against the Tigers. Or maybe patch together the eighth. But no, he starts with Tyler Baxter. Then he brings in this Drew Zamora, one of the worst pitchers ever wear in Met uniform. No offense to the kid. I mean, I know he's trying, but he's just not very good. So, of course, uh, Dave Roberts pinch hits uh, for Jock Peterson with Kiki Hernandez. It's a three-run homer. Game gets looks like it's out of hand now. It's 8-3. And, and, and Denny Echevarita, who's filling in for Robinson Cano, hits a two-run homer to make it 8-5. By the way, Denny Echevarria in about, mm, I don't know, half the at-bats, maybe, uh, maybe more than Cano, less than Cano, has the same amount of home runs and almost as many RBIs. Echevarria's played great so far, and his defense is, is impeccable at second base. Give Brody Van Wagenen credit for that. That was a good pickup. Smart pickup. Look, I'll give Van Wagenen credit for this. The Cano trade looks like it's going to be a complete disaster. Disaster. Because Edwin Diaz, the closer, isn't all that good. Or right now, he's not that good. I mean, he got a save the other night by the skin of his teeth. Blew a save thir- uh, sa- Saturday. Okay, listen, I get it. It was a you know jam shot, bit bloop to right field. Whatever. He didn't get the save. He's lost two games with giving up home runs to the Reds. And then he barely got out of it again on Sunday by the skin of his teeth. I mean, every save is a high-wire act with this guy. I mean, he rarely has had a 1-2. I think he's had two 1-2-3 innings so far out of his 13 saves. I think two have been 1-2-3 innings. The other ones have all the team, all the team has at least had one runner on base every time. And he's had to escape several self-induced jams. He has not been even close to what he was last year when he was lights out. So that trade looks like it's going to be an absolute mess. But I'll give Van Wagenen credit for this. Unlike his predecessor, Sandy Alderson, who wouldn't know how to build de- depth if his life depended on it, at least he went out and signed guys like Denny Echevarria, who's, you know what, he's not great, but he's like a career 250 hitter. I mean, he's a reasonable major league player, and he's very good with the glove, particularly at shortstop, but he can play second base. He can play third base in a pinch if you need him to. You know, he can run a little bit. And again, he doesn't have a lot of power, although he's showing off some power this year unexpectedly. But over his career, he's not displayed a lot of power. I don't think he has 50 home runs in his career. And he's been playing for five or six years. But again, he's like a 250 hitter. He's not an automatic out. Carlos Gomez, you know, look, he had a bad year last year. He's played, he's had good seasons. He's been an all-star. You know, Rajai Davis, right? Didn't have a great year last year, but is a great clubhouse guy, great locker room guy, and you know was on a World Series team two years ago and hit a big home run in a World Series. So I'll give him credit for those guys. You know the JD Davis trade is looking like a very good trade. He's got six home runs and limited at bats. So he's done a much better job, at least in that regard. Now the bullpen has not been good. Familia's been bad and was injured. Justin Wilson was so-so and is injured. Uh, you know, Hector Santiago was, you know, tiptoe through the raindrops the other day against the Tigers in the extra inning win. But you know what? He gave him two scoreless innings. That was a Van Wagen move. Low risk, you know, potentially high reward. Not high, but some reward. So at least there's that. But, I mean, look, you watched the game last night against the Dodgers. Again, you know, DeGrom's not going to give you a lights-out game. I mean, you just see the, 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 the difference. And, listen, I get it. No McNeil, no Nimmo. Conforto's back. No Cano. I don't want to hear about no Cano. Cano stinks. 
The difference in talent between the Dodgers and the Mets is massive. I mean, there's a massive talent gap there. The only where, only place, rather, where supposedly is even is starting pitching. But again, DeGrom did not have a very good game last night. And the Mets are going to have to go against Walker Bueller and uh, Ryu, who they never hit. And Ryu's having a great year already this year to begin with. And Rich Hill, who will probably give him fits, I think, tonight. Tonight's Rich Hill versus Mats. I think it's uh, Syndergaard versus Bueller tomorrow. And then it's uh, Jason Vargas and uh, Ryu on uh, Thursday. And then they go to Arizona, who, you know, look, Arizona's a great. Mets should be able to win two out of three there. But, you know, you never know. It's a home run, you know, it's a hitter's paradise, that ballpark. Mets always have problems there, except for 99, when Edgar Alfonso hit that grand slam in extra innings. You know, look, again, the thing for the Mets here is hang around 500, at least be in the mix. You know, be in the mix come the all-star break. That's all I'm asking. Be in the mix, and then maybe these pitchers get on a run. And maybe Cano does get hot for six weeks when he comes back off the DL. And hopefully Nimmo gets hot when he comes off the DL. And McNeil stays raging hot. I mean, look, Alonzo had a big game again last night. You know, hit a huge home run against the Tigers on Friday night. They should have given him the win. He's been phenomenal. Yeah, he's had some dips. Of course, everybody does. But, I mean, the kid's got 17 home runs and 40 RBIs. And we're st- we, we just hit Labor- uh, Memorial Day. We're not even in June yet. He's having a phenomenal rookie year. Plus, he brings a life and an energy that has been sorely missing from this team for a very long time. So, you know what? Just be in the mix. All right, let's take a look around Major League Baseball, shall we? So, the Yankees are raging hot. 12-2 and two in the last 14. Again, getting con- contributions from, from unexpected sources. Now, Clint Ginger, Clint Frazier is in the mix now. He's hot. He's up to 10 home runs. Gary Sanchez, we talked about him last week. He's up to 16 home runs now. The Teutonic one, Domingo Herman, uh, you know, continues to pitch well. 7-1. Now, look. Let's be fair. The Yankees are playing a joke of a schedule. But you know what? They're doing what you're supposed to do against bad teams. I mean, they played the Orioles, who are laughably bad, at 17 and 37. The Orioles are 20 games under 500 already. And then they just played the Royals, who are almost as awful at 18 and 34. The Yankees lost one game in that series and almost came back and won that game, too, by the way, yesterday. They were down 7-1, and they lost 8-7. I mean, the Royals stink. So we'll see when the Yankees start playing some real teams. But you know what? Give them credit. Look, you can only beat the teams that you're playing that day, and they're beating the bad teams, just like the Mets. Look, the Mets needed a 5-1, and one, sorry, 6-1 and one homestand in the worst way, and they did it. So, but, you know, if the Mets could somehow go 2-2 two and two against the Dodgers, that would be, you know, listen, I'll sign up for 1-3. and three. Just don't get swept. So the Yankees are raging hot. They're 35-18 and 18 now. Two games up on Tampa. It's kind of come back down to earth a little bit, although they won three in a row. Red Sox are 29-25. and 25. They're not going to go away. And as we said, the rest of that division stinks. Toronto's 21-33. and 33. Only reason to watch Toronto is Vlad Guerrero, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then we'll see what, what team trades for Marcus Stroman. I mean, that's, that's basically Toronto's season right there. And the Orioles, I mean, the Orioles are so bad. I don't even know that they have anybody on their team anybody want. I mean, maybe, 
Uh, Kashner, the starting pitcher, maybe somebody would take him to be a fifth starter if they're desperate. Other than that, I mean, the Orioles don't have anybody. Maybe Jonathan Villar, maybe. If somebody gets hurt and somebody needs a second baseman, middle infielder type. I mean, Trey Mancini's not a bad player, but, I, I mean, if you're the Orioles, that's one of the decent young players you have, right? you got to keep him. The story right now in the American League, though, are the Minnesota Twins. And they have the best record in baseball, 36-17. and 17. They've been hitting home runs at a historic rate. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. 36 and 17 overall, 18 and 9 at home, 18 and 8 away, plus 110 run differential. Uh, they've been absolutely tremendous. You know, in years past, we've talked about the Indians have been able to kind of coast to that division title. Not this year. Let's take a little look inside the numbers, shall we? So, their best hitters have been Eddie Rosario, left fielder, very good player. 16 home runs, 45 RBIs already. Jorge Polanco, the shortstop, 9 home runs, 26 RBIs. 404 on base, hitting 332. Max Kepler, the right fielder, 12 homers, 33 RBIs. CJ Cron, who I believe was a, 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 a retread slash Discard from the Angels is 13 home runs and 34 RBIs. Jonathan Scope, who was always a very good player for the Orioles and particularly was a Yankee killer, got traded to the Brewers late in the year, didn't play that well for them, under the radar signing. I think they, they twin signed him for one year, like $5 million. By the way, so clearly something the Mets could have done because he didn't cost a lot of money. 10 home runs, 29 RBIs, 835 OPS, having a much better year than Cano, much better. Nelly Cruz, I think, is on the DL, but as we always say, all Nelly Cruz does is hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 runs, and he was having a good year. He had seven home runs and 22 RBIs in 126 at-bats. I think he's on the DL. Marwin Gonzalez, who, you know, the jack-of-all-trades guy they signed from Houston, got up to a very slow start. He's got the average up to 239, playing a lot of third base for them, five homers, 17 RBIs. Byron Buck's in there, very talented, five-tool type of guy, center fielder, who you know took several years for the light to go on, kind of like Aaron Hicks, except Aaron Hicks did it for the Yankees after the Twins gave up on him. He got off to a very slow start. He's up to 258 now, five homers, 28 RBIs. I mean, the team's just mashing. And then uh, you know they're pitching. We talked about Barrios, their their young stud pitcher, uh, Jose Barrios. He's got seven wins. And an ERA of 320, which in the American League is good. Whip is good at 1.15. And then Jake Odorizzi, another former uh, Tampa Bay Ray, 7-2 with a 216 ERA. And a whip of .99. So, they've been really good. Now, look, they're going to hit a little dull, rough patch here. There's no question. They always do. And they've been beating up on some bad teams too lately. I mean, look, that whole division is bad right now. I mean, you know, the Indians are kind of treading water, but the White Sox aren't any good and the Royals aren't any good um, and the Tigers aren't any good. I mean, it's three really bad teams. Now, I, White Sox is six games under 500, but it's it, a bad team. You know. Good news for them is Lucas Giolito, who, who was one of their big trade pickups they got from the Nationals, is actually pitching decently this year. And uh, 
Moncada, the second baseman, who they got in the Chris Sale trade, is having a good year finally. Um, but they still got a ways to go. Not a very good team. And, you know, the Indians are a game under 500 right now. They're, they're scuffling. Now, I mean, they lost a lot of really important players. And then out west, look, Houston, I still think, is still the best team in the American League. Uh, of course, though, after I talked about Presley and Osuna, how great they've been, of course, that was a kiss of death. Uh, Presley immediately gave up a run that day, and I think Osuna's given up runs now in his last three <laughs> appearances. He's gotten the saves, but he's been hit, and he's been hit a little bit hard. So, of course, after I talked about how great they were, and they weren't giving up any runs, of course, I mean, listen, part of that's obviously the law of averages, but I thought it was just funny timing. But the A's have gotten red hot. Won 10 in a row. They looked like they were dead in the water, and now they're 29 and 25. So they could be in the mix for a wild card, maybe. I mean, you know, we'll see. Now the Rangers are five, a game under 500. The A's are, uh, sorry, the Angels, the Anaheim Angels, Orange County Angels are five games under 500. The Mariners are eight games under. I mean, and then, you know, you go over the National League. Look, Phillies are playing well lately. Seven and three in the last ten, and up to nine over five hundred. Braves playing well lately too, six over. But look, it's still really early. Mets are five back in a loss column. The Phillies, just saying, just saying. And of course, the Nationals are ten under, and the Marlins are the Marlins. Look, Cubs have righted the ship, although last 10, not great, 4 and 6, but they're still 30 and 22. Milwaukee's 31 and 24. We talked about, I mean, that, that NL Central is going to be a dogfight all year. And the Cardinals have not played well lately. They're 3 and 7 in the last 10, but they're 26 and 26. Again, I would never count them out. Pirates, eh, you know, they're 26 and 26. The run differential is minus 63. A lot of times that's a red flag. They're 10 and 14 at home. You know, Josh Bell, the, the slugging first baseman, has had a monster year for them so far. Pitching's been a little spotty. Not a big believer in the Pirates. But, I mean, they're not a disaster. And the Reds are 25 and 29. Interesting, with a plus 36 run differential. Listen, the Reds can slug. And they're starting pitching a little better. Sonny Gray's actually pitched pretty well for them. And then you go out west, Dodgers are 36 and 18. I mean, look, the Dodgers are the class of the National League. There's no question. Now, Kenley Jansen's been a little shaky, the closer. Joe Kelly's been a disaster as far as this being a setup guy. I mean, uh, he came in to face the Mets last night, gave up single, home run, double, out of the game. <laughs> He's been terrible. Um, but the Dodgers starting pitching is really good, and their you know, everyday player depth is off the charts. I mean, they've got, they've got guys on the bench that would start for a lot of teams. Padres, 28-26. Diamondbacks, 28 and 26. You know, Rockies, 25 and 27. Eh, a lot of mediocrity out there in the West. Dodgers are the class of that division. No, look, Padres look like they've got a good young team, got some good young starting pitching. You know, Machado hasn't really hit much for them yet. He's been okay. In fact, let's take a look at his numbers really quickly. Make sure I'm not speaking out of my ass here. Let's see. Machado. Is in 267, nine home runs, 26 RBIs. I mean, not not awful, right? 788 OPS. I mean, eh, okay, not great. 
But, you know, someone named Fran Mill Reyes has hit 15 home runs for them. Hunter Renfro's got 14. Will Myers has 10. So they're, they're getting some contributions. I mean, Fran Mill Reyes is a young player. Hunter Renfro is a young player. So those guys, you know, those guys have played well for them. And then they've got some, gotten some good pitching. They've got to get what's-his-face back. Fernando Tatis Jr., he got hurt. He was off to a nice start with six home runs and 13 RBIs and only 100 at-bats in 27 games. I mean, you know, the Padres could be feisty. We'll see. But again, lots of bad teams in Major League Baseball. And, I mean, look, that Mets game last night was kind of fun to watch. I mean, just from a pure baseball fan standpoint, it's not fun if you're a Mets fan watching Cody Bellinger unleash two rockets and throw guys out. And then a perfectly executed relay from Jock Peterson to who was playing short for the Dodgers last night? Chris Taylor at home. Um, But, you know, it's action. It's something. It's not a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, The website is jamalaboutsports.com go to the blog uh, section you can read my article that I wrote originally about eight, uh, 10 years ago and then recently amended an, uh, an excerpt of it was recently published in the Detroit Free Press as to why I am a Lions fan I think it's a very good read I strongly recommend you check it out uh, Twitter at jamalaboutsport no S Facebook page jamalaboutsports.com that is it we'll see you next week until then peace out